Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. in this series. I love the 90s and really what we're considering is as that was a decade of progress, uh, what would God's progress be for our lives? As you know, a few weeks uh, we see uh, a lot of people come uh, to to the church in the fall and what I want to talk to for those of you uh, who called Timberlake home and maybe have for a long time is maybe about your next steps. Or if you're new, uh, this is good for you too as well, as God wants you not only to know him, but to grow. I want to do a little church business and update uh, as well. Uh, Many of you know that we launched our Woodenville Bothell campus uh, this last winter, and a great group of people out there, and we're excited about what God is doing. And then this summer, uh, we've had a couple opportunities uh, come our way. One church uh, down in southwest Washington, a great group of people, they've sort of been following what we've been doing. Uh, They actually just built a a brand new facility about 1,000 feet off an exit, an I-5, and uh, they've been asking, hey, could we become a Timberlake campus? And so I work with the board and all of that, and so in a couple weeks, uh, we're going to have a, uh, a new campus in Kelso, Washington, and so uh, excited about that. Yeah, you can thank God for that. Uh, I'm really thanking God because it comes with a paid-off new facility, so that's great. <laughs> that confirms every stereotype you had about me and my people right there. So uh, we're, uh, uh, we're excited, and uh, God has presented a number of opportunities. Uh, we're trying to discern uh, what God's will is uh, going forward. We, we don't want to uh, get ahead of God's plan, but we also want to say, God, if you want to do something new, that's unexpected, uh, and we as well have a couple couple other churches, pretty interesting as well, uh, have talked about the same thing, that, that we want to be open to that. And part of being open to God's plan is understanding the why uh, behind it. And so that's what I want to do uh, for some of you. This will be uh, a fresh take on on who God is and his plan, his purpose. Others of you, it'll be a reminder to get back to the core of God's heart. By the way, last week, uh, God's heart was so expressed as we had Kenneth Bay. I did an interview with him uh, for part of the service. God had many people talk to me after the service, how God encouraged him. Some people were just checking out faith. There were people, as he was telling the stories, there were people who were crying. Our creative director said there were even members of the tech team were like crying as he was telling the stories. And I'm like, wow. He said, they cry when you preach too. It's just for different reasons. And (laughs) uh, it really was so impactful. 
Uh, also this summer, uh, just a couple weeks ago, I had some of the staff over, my wife and I, at our house. And so uh, we like to get together. We had a couple new staff. And, you know, uh, people from different parts of the country always do the questions and trying to get to know people. So I asked, hey, you know, what kind of TV do you watch? And they said something like really ungodly, like The Bachelor, uh, because I only watch wholesome shows. Uh, like, you know, reruns of Touched by an Angel, The Waltons, and of course, The Walking Dead. And so, uh, uh, and, they, and they laughed too when I said that. And they're like, oh, you watched The Walking Dead? That seems weird. I'm like, hey, I used to think it was weird too. Because I used to make fun of people who watch zombie shows. But The Walking Dead is not just a zombie show. It's a different show than that. It's a show about social structures. It's a show about priorities. It's a show about relationships. And and so he asked, does Ben always get this worked up about things? And they go, well, not when he preaches. <laughs> and I was really uh, passionate about that. And sometimes we can do that about things that are sort of... Uh, fun and it's okay to have a, a team you root for or a show you like or a hobby that's important. The, the problem can be is when we, when we miss really those ultimate things because they may not be in the right now. In fact, if you've been to a management seminar or business school, uh, you've seen this chart that will come up behind me uh, before where it talks about the urgent and the important. And we have these different quadrants in our life, don't we? Uh, we have things that are, uh, well, not urgent and not important. And we, we need to limit those things. Those are, those are things that uh, really take up our time but don't produce a result. Uh, always as you head into a new season, you should be identifying those things. There are things that are urgent and not important. And we need to avoid those things. There are people who will, who will tell us this is really urgent and we need to get involved. And they'll, they'll uh, tell us this is so important. You know what we call those people? Our kids. That's what we call those people. And then uh, there are things that are urgent and important. And that's where most of us spend most of our time. We just try to manage life. But what we will often forget is that area of focus. And that's what I want to talk about from a biblical perspective. Things that may not seem urgent in the moment, but are ultimately important. Now, our theme verse for this series comes from uh, 2 Peter in the Bible, last verse of the last book written by the Apostle Peter. And this is what his parting words, because it's so important. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, will you underline grace? He's saying, you got to get this. Because see, what will happen uh, is we can get off track if we don't. Well, you might say, well, we're talking about spiritual maturity. Isn't, isn't grace more of a basic thing? Not really, because spiritual maturity is understanding and living according to God's priorities. The question is, God, what do you want to do in the world, and can I be part of that, and how does that impact my life? See, often what we'll have is we'll have this image of God and his priorities that uh, can keep us from that important thing where we should be focusing. Maybe we have this image of God like a passive grandfather. Uh, the, many of the founders of this country were deists, and they viewed God as someone who uh, got the world spinning. They believed in a creator God. It's sort of interesting with intelligent design. You have people who aren't Christ followers but are coming back to the idea of a creator, but that he's 
just simply uninvolved. And see, the God like that, the ultimate priority for that would be himself, and there's really doesn't involve us. Or there's uh, maybe an image of God, and I know many people were raised with this, of an angry parent. That God's ultimate priority is the rules. And if, if we just keep the rules, then God will love us. Now, I wasn't raised in a religious household at all. Never really went to any sort of religious services. So I didn't have this image, but I've talked to so many of you who, who have. And the idea is that if we could make or God could make us feel bad enough, we'd behave better. By the way, I, I see people who try to manage their employees or their families or their marriage like that. If I can make you feel bad enough, you will behave better. And you know what? That works for a moment until it doesn't, until the marriage blows apart, until the, the employment situation is no longer effective and fruitful. And then, th then this is one that I think is really more common uh, today uh, and becoming more common is that we view God as a permissive parent. And, and the ultimate priority here is harmony and personal preferences. The idea is that, well, uh, there is a God and God loves me and so he, he really uh, wants to make me happy. Now, God wants to give you joy, but there, there's something here that I think is important, and this is a, a correction, and you may have said this before, I'm not, and I probably said this before, but as I looked biblically, sometimes we'll, we'll say something like this, well, I know this is right because I have a peace about it. And it's interesting, if you study the scriptures, that we're never, we're never given that instruction that if we have a peace about something, that we're supposed to do it. In fact, you look at the things that God calls people to do, they rarely had a peace about it. Think about Jesus as he goes across. Well, as he said, he must have had peace about it. Well, as I read the Bible, he, he prayed, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Isn't it interesting that you can have something where you don't have peace about it, but it can still be the, the right thing. You think about Gideon in the Bible. If you read about that, he's a guy that God called him to uh, really lead God's people and, and to that they would have freedom against their enemies. And he didn't have a peace about it. He tried to negotiate with God. But it still was ultimately God's will. So maybe if that's been our standard, God wants to say, okay, there, there's something else going on. We need a new image of God. Sometimes we have this image of God is he's a weird uncle. We have no idea. What, we don't know what, what God's priorities are. They're unintelligible. They seem foreign. And so Jesus, he knew that we would struggle with this. And so he gives us actually multiple places in the scripture where it basically drives home the same point. I'm going to look at one of them where he gives us an a understanding of God and also the why behind God's plan in the process. Uh, because uh, we see that God really wants us to understand that, that he's a father who seeks us. And in fact, uh, the, the passage we're going to read is from a chapter of the Bible. If you've never been to church before, you don't even have a Christian friend, I can assure you, You've heard a story like this before at the end of the chapter. 
where it talks about the prodigal son. And uh, there, there are actually other stories of uh, prodigal sons and other faith systems, interestingly enough. They just end differently. They don't end with a father who's waiting and seeking and offers grace. They end with a son getting what he deserves. And, and we see again and again, I want to look at the very first account. There's three stories of lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. And, and really, it's driving home one point. Now, the context of this is really important. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. These were people who were way on the outs with the religious crowd. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners. So we have this uh, here in this passage that uh, Jesus is being criticized for who he's hanging out with. And see, they had an image of God as God as the rule keeper. And they thought Jesus was saying that God was permissive or passive. And instead, he, he really gives an entirely different picture of, of God and his plan. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on its shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. And you might, maybe you're here and you say, hey, I'm a good person. I try to live according to God's plan and values. Are you saying that God doesn't care about me? He cares about you deeply. And whenever you take a step towards him, he celebrates. But, but it's like you, if, if you, well, I, I might ask you a question. There's, Child Protective Services is not here, so please answer truthfully. How many of you had a, you were babysitting, uh, you had your own child, some child that you were caring for, and for some period of time, maybe it was just a moment, you lost them or you thought you lost them. Go ahead and raise your hand. Let's, come on, be honest. Uh, yeah, there, there's a, a lot of you who admit that and the rest of you are liars. We love you anyway. Uh, this sermon's for you. So uh, uh, I, I've shared this story before. Uh, this happened a couple times. The worst was we were at Chuck E. Cheese when my oldest daughter was little. And Chuck E. Cheese is actually, for me, it's a spiritual place because it sort of reminds me of what hell would be like. And uh, so uh, I'm sorry if you work at Chuck E. Cheese, if there are any around. I'm really sorry. Anyway, the, uh, so Chuck E. Cheese, we were in the ball pit. And uh, my daughter was there, and I'm not going to be one of those dads who's not playing in the ball pit. So I was playing and throwing the balls, and I was having a perfectly good time until I realized that someone was missing. And it was my daughter. And all of a sudden, I panicked, and I, and I started uh, looking around, and it was horrible. And then uh, after about 15, 20 minutes, I got out of the ball pit, and I, no, I, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I just started yelling, Abby, Abby. And I, I, see, I didn't care what anyone thought. And it, they thought I was a bad It wasn't about image management or anything like that. My ultimate priority was nothing except finding my daughter. 
And Jesus, he says this, you'll never get the heart of God and you'll never get spiritual growth, how to grow spiritually, unless you get this one thing. It's sort of uh, what you call a, a top button truth. If your, uh, your shirt is the top button's off, uh, everything is out of kilter. And if you miss this, everything in your spiritual life will be out of kilter. Is that God's priority is to offer grace. That, that's why Jesus came. That's how God works, especially with the, the nation of Israel. Because when someone is missing, that's God's priority. And maybe you're here and you've sort of been wandering away from God and you say, oh, God doesn't care. He's doing his thing and I'll do my thing. And you know those people that God's put in your life, that sense of there's more to life, you know where that comes from? That comes from God because he's searching for you. Well, why grace first? Now this is uh, not only organizationally as a church, but really spiritually for every believer. Because grace meets my greatest need. My greatest need uh, is for grace. Uh, and you think about the Pharisees, before you get on the religious leaders of that day and say, oh, I wouldn't be like that. Uh, they, they had uh, this belief, and it's fundamentally true apart from God's power, that you take someone who's impure, and they would ruin the thing that is pure. And so uh, they looked at the tax collectors and sinners, and they're like, if Jesus is hanging around them, then he must be like them. And it's just like if someone's sick. And you guys remember when the swine flu, that was a big deal? Uh, yeah, so uh, kid you not, it happened here, I can't remember who, so if it was you, I don't even remember who it was who did this, but it was after service, I hadn't seen someone uh, for a while, and I just said, uh, hey, great to see you, how you doing? And they go, good, I had the swine flu, that's why you haven't seen me. The next thing I did was not to give them a hug, it was to say, hey, have you ever thought about the online campus, why don't you do that like for 47 weeks or so, you know? Uh, I wanted to wash my hands, because... Because I know I'm not healthy enough, probably, to withstand that. But Jesus is saying God's holiness and health is greater than your worst sin. There's nothing you can bring to God that he can't handle. The most uh, perverse thought, the greatest pain you cause someone else. But it has to be brought to him. In fact, speaking of Jesus, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Will you underline God's grace? Well, second, grace frees us from image management. That we, we don't have to walk around and say, This is who I present myself to be. And, and in fact, it's just like going to a doctor. Is if you have an illness, you have to go to the doctor and tell them the symptoms so that you can maybe get the medicine or get the instructions so you can get better. And so if I'm trying to pretend like I'm not sick, pretend like I don't have a problem, then I never make any progress. And maybe for you, you're saying, hi, I'm just not growing spiritually. Are you into image management? Because if you are, that's your problem. It's not your family, it's not, uh, there's not, there's not a group for you, I mean there's uh, 130 groups at church, so there is a group for you. 
is where you say, God, I need to grow in this area. And if you can't identify a place, a place where you really need to grow spiritually, and I'm not just talking knowledge, we all need more knowledge, but I'm talking about something besides that, then maybe you're trying to present an image. Uh, and God, God doesn't want that. Jesus said this. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Grace also uh, motivates positive change. In fact, you, you think about the Apostle Paul. Uh, he talked so much about grace because he lived uh, with a God who was just about the rules. And he says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, the grace of God was with me. He sounds like he's working hard, but he's not working hard to earn God's favor. It's a response. And you, you might say, well, you know, I know I should take a spiritual step, and but being baptized, that would just be, oh, you know, I, I should have done that years ago. So it's sort of embarrassing. And, and it's, it's one of those things, by the way, baptism is, you know, it doesn't cost you anything. We actually give you a, a, a free T-shirt uh, and I've told the story about that because we had someone who wore a white t-shirt and that was a disaster, so we give you a dark t-shirt. And so the, uh, uh, we, we help you out. And maybe you say, or giving, man, uh, give, but there's just, you know, that's just hard on me and you haven't really said, okay, God, I'm going to put you first in my finances. Or serving, you know, I'll go ahead and give, I'll tithe, I'll do that, but, but I, I won't serve. And, and you say, really, it's this problem or that problem. Here's what it fundamentally is. It's an understanding of grace problem. Because those things don't earn God's favor. It's a response where say, God, because of what you've done in my life, I want to respond with my whole life. That means leveraging my relationships for a friend who doesn't know you or maybe giving up one of my priorities uh, where I feel like I've been offended and offering forgiveness before the person even asks for it. See, when you fundamentally understand God's grace, it changes everything. But it's a response of someone who cares about you. A couple of weeks ago was at Sammamish Cafe over where I live with my family. I, I, I uh, go there uh, many mornings during the week for meetings, but I was there after church. And as I was there, was ordering uh, drinks and the server who knows me well says, oh, are you, uh, you're back on caffeine, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I'm back on caffeine. And because uh, I was off caffeine for a while, she knew that because was dealing with some high blood pressure thing, but got that under control. So I got back on caffeine. And she says, uh, do I sound like I'm justifying here? I'll go to a 12-step group later. <laughs> the, uh, so she says, well, you, I think you really should go back off caffeine. And this is, there's a crowded restaurant, and she's saying this. And then I smile, and I'm like, yeah. And then she looks at my family. She says, don't you think he should go back off caffeine too? <laughs> and I'm like, well, there goes her tip. Uh, but but it, it's sort of funny. Uh, she, she literally, just wonderful, sweet person, she was saying, hey, this, this isn't good for you, and I want you to be healthy. And see, when I understand that, from, when you understand it from someone where there's grace and someone who actually is caring and interested, and then it's not this thing of I have to, is that response of doing 
the right thing. And so I've decided I'm going to go off of caffeine after I drink up all the soda and coffee in my house, which will be a year or two. And do you understand God? See, that's the motivation. That's the ultimate motivation to change. See, God, he, he sees the mess you bring. I don't know what that is. It could be a little mess or a big mess. He refuses to define you by that. And don't let anyone else define you by that. But he doesn't want to leave you in that. Because he loves you. And if there's been a nudge, and maybe it's come through a circumstance, maybe it's come through a person or that small voice of the Holy Spirit, that that thought, I always say, you know, I say that, and people are like, okay, how do I know the voice of the Holy Spirit? And my definition is always simple. You hear this voice in, the, in your head, and it sounds like you, but it's too smart to be you. That's the Holy Spirit. And so that voice in your head, that would just say, it's time to change. Time to change. And, and maybe for you, it's uh, this fourth uh, point, is that grace defines my mission. It's about finding your, your, your mission that God has for you, that God wants to call you on, so that you can make a difference. You know, uh, as we move into this next season, you know, a few weeks from now, it's like the loaves and fishes. And, you know, it's like, whoa, where did all these people come from? And uh, there's going to be plenty of people here. But see, if anyone's missing, if, if there's someone who doesn't know Jesus personally, maybe they've been living under the God of the rules or no God at all, God would say, would you open up your heart with compassion? Would you let that affect you in every aspect of your life? John Ortberg, one of my favorite authors, uh, in one of his more recent books, All Places to Go, he actually quotes an article from the San Francisco Chronicle. Not exactly a Christian journal. Uh, it was a front page article, and it was about uh, a lady, a bus driver. Her name is Linda Wilson Allen. And in this article, it tells about her that uh, she... Uh, is very well loved by people on her bus. The author of the article uh, for the Chronicle actually rides her bus, and he's been able to observe her, how there was an elderly lady, uh, and she couldn't get her groceries up the stairs, so she actually uh, got out of her driver's seat and carried the groceries in, that if people are a little bit late to their bus stop, she knows the regulars, that she'll wait uh, a few extra seconds, and she'll make up time uh, along the way. And uh, there was a lady named Tanya in a bus shelter, and Linda could tell that uh, Tanya was new to the area. And so he writes, it was almost Thanksgiving. So Linda said to Tanya, you're out here all by yourself. You don't know anybody. Come over for Thanksgiving and kick it with me and my kids. The reporter also wrote that of all the people who ride her bus every day, and so he interviewed her. And because being a bus driver, it's a job that often doesn't pay very well, and there's traffic jams, and there's rude customers. And he said, you're just so different. Bus 45 is so different. What, what's the difference? And this article uh, says this. Her mood is set at 2.30 a.m. every day when she gets down on her knees for 30 minutes to pray to God and for the people who rides her, her bus. She talks a lot about Jesus and the Lord. When she ends her shift, she says, that's all. I love you. Take care. 
John Ortberg, uh, he, when he heard the story, he invited her to his church. And his church is a, a mega church in Palo Alto, uh, an epicenter of the tech industry, of course, except for Redmond, Washington, which is the true epicenter. And, and he said he's invited people. The best-known Christian speakers in the entire nation have been there. He said there's never been a longer line to talk to someone uh, except for this bus driver because there was that authenticity of living out God's grace. And could that be the very mission that God has for you? That there's someone in your realm of relationship where you would offer grace to. Maybe they don't know Jesus and you say, see, He's different than you thought. And he has a plan for you. And maybe you say, hey, I can't talk to people personally. Invite them to church. That's why we do a relationship series every fall. Yeah, there'll be great stuff that'll help every person who's dating or married or, uh, you know, has uh, been married. It'll be helpful. But ultimately, beneath it is a message of God's grace. And the idea is, God, I'm about your mission The Apostle Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ in me. You say, well, I'm not sure if God, you know, he still would use me. Even in the Old Testament we read, it says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. Some of you, that's what you need to hear today. Don't dwell on the past. That was, whether that was your success or your failure. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Saying, God, for what you've done for me, maybe in, the, maybe in my successes, maybe in my failures, I'm going to use that because you've offered me grace. Uh, there's a couple of the Thayers who we asked to do a promo for a growth group, to host growth groups. As the church has sort of grown uh, during this last uh, eight to ten months, uh, we have we need more people to step in and do growth groups. And as we heard their story, we realized, although it was a story about growth groups, it was more than that. It's a story about God's primary mission. And that's extending grace and receiving that and sharing that. So I want you to hear their story. Take a look at this. I'm Dina Thayer. And I'm Scott Thayer, and we've been attending Timberlake for just over two years. I met my first wife in college, and we both had the same dreams, same vision, same goals, as far as working in a church and working with teenagers. And and we did that for quite a few years. After about 10 years of marriage, things just started going a little bit south. And I went through my divorce is where I started to question God. And like, why? Why is this happening to me? I've given, you know, 14 years of my life in full-time ministry, and this is going on. It's been brutal ever since, you know, the, the impact that it has on kids. Do you trust God in, even in the bad times? When you're going through difficult times, where do you turn? now it was time to practice what I literally preached. Really for me, my marriage was only good for about seven months. So I 
and by that time I was already pregnant. So the thinking I had was I'm gonna just stay because I really want my kids to have an intact family. It was a pretty abusive relationship almost from the start. So I really struggled with thinking I'm outside God's will. So is this even real? Does God even exist? Does he care about what I'm dealing with that he would let my marriage fall apart? So that led to a pretty dark time of questioning for me. I was praying for a place where our kids can, can get plugged in, feel accepted, loved, and excited to be here. And that happened within a month. Anytime we introduce ourselves to somebody, a good way to describe it is we come with an explanation. Oh, we have five kids. Between oh, yeah. us, we're a blended family. <laughs> Here's how old they are. This is why we have two kids that are the same age. No, they're not twins. You know, it's, yeah. there's a lot of, you have to explain. And here, not once has anyone batted an eye, looked at us sideways. It's just, well, that's your story. And there's an acceptance for your story without shame attached to it. Yeah, you know, one thing we love about Timberlake is is you don't have to have all your stuff together. In fact, it's a very low shame level place where um, it's okay to be weird, it's okay to be different, it's okay to struggle. And to feel accepted, loved, and cared for in an environment like this that's this large, but to feel welcomed and loved in that regard is fantastic. We got our first huge pamphlet with all the groups in it and there was just this sense, there's nothing for someone whose, whose family looks like ours. I believe in God's design and God's will for marriage permanence, but mm. the reality is there's sin and it doesn't always go like that. So we talked about what if we start something for that? Luckily, Timberlake was super favorable, said this is a great idea, we should have this, and really, I mean, gave us all the materials we needed, helped with all the logistics, but that's really what it came from, is we knew we couldn't be the only family, and we wanted to make sure there was a place for people who are navigating all these things, like ex-spouses and parenting plans and visitation, and mm -hmm. need to talk with other people who are doing that. I remember the very first group, I was, I, I was nervous. <laughs> Let's maybe at least have one or, or two couples show up, mm -hmm. you know, that's, uh, I remember praying specifically for two because we were like, one-on-one -on -one is just going to be awkward. Yeah, yeah. We had nine. Nine couples in the first night. So that was, we left there, um, tears of joy, I, I would say, happy. So that, encouraged. That's the ugly side of divorce that a lot of people experience, but think that they're alone. And in a Christian environment like this, to be able to come in and, and pray for one another and let you know that you're, you're A, not alone, and B, you're accepted, you know, and, and that we had uh, people who were going through the exact same thing that we were going through. Uh, God gave us that camaraderie. And it is really almost a misnomer to call us leaders of the group. I mean, we're facilitating and maybe helping the discussion move along, but so many times I think we've left feeling like we were the ones ministered to, honestly. Yeah. So that's been really great. That's a good point. Yeah. And what I really love about blended family ministry and the blended family in general is it is such a picture of redemption, which is what Jesus is all about. Taking broken stuff and making it into something beautiful that you never could have imagined. I look at where I am now in my life, both personally with uh, a new bride here and 
um, a new profession and look around all the things that I have and the friends that I have and how I can hold my head up high and uh, I'm a blessed man. Went through a lot, but a very, very blessed man now. Sort of interesting when we get a hold of God's grace and we, we take that to heart, it just impacts so many people. I had two couples after the last service who are part of that group, or were at least, and they said, you just have to know what a difference it's made in my life. And it, it starts from someone saying, God, I, I, I need your grace. I need you to take the broken things in my life and make them whole. And God, I'm not going to just live for me after that. I'm not going to live like, like it doesn't matter that there's someone else who, who, who needs that too. God, I'm going to open up my heart and my life to you. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do today. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for each and every person who's here today. God, I pray that for those of us who are here, and we're called to a next step, God. Uh, and we don't have peace about it in the sense of there's anxiety. But God, we just know that it's your plan, and so we're going to say yes to you because we trust you. Maybe you're here today and you say, I've never said yes to Jesus. And, or maybe you're not sure. You know, you can be sure. You can be sure of where you stand with God. As, as you would come to him and, and you would just say, Jesus, I, I say yes to you. You just pray. You pray this. If this is you, you pray this right now. You pray it. Uh, I don't want you to pray it out loud. I'm not going to have you come forward or raise your hand. But you just do business with God and you say, God, I want you in my life. I need your forgiveness. And God, I'm going to follow you. Uh, because I know that your plans are better than mine. And Jesus, I, I make the great exchange today, whereby saying, God, here's my life, I take up true in real life. And if that's you, you can know this. The Bible says that God will never leave you and he'll never give up on you. That he'll be with you now, in this moment, and through eternity. Lord, I pray for my friends who prayed that prayer. God, for all of us as we look at what our next step is in you. And God, we just thank you that you show yourself so faithful. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.